Hey, everybody. It is Monday, April 10th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mosh Wanunu. This is the place where we bring you just the facts and reread all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. I hope everyone had a wonderful holiday weekend, a Ramadan Mubarak, Happy Easter, a Hag Sameach, if you celebrate any of those holidays. I'm so grateful for all of you, especially, I just want to begin here with some of the great reviews you've been leaving lately. A listener named Russia 11 last week on the Apple podcast platform said, thank you for news without the dramatic. I have abandoned traditional news outlets in favor of Mo News so I can get the facts without inflammatory spins. I'm informed and educated on the top headlines with some levity. She adds that this is an informative yet kind corner of the internet. I hope you keep doing this for a long time. Also love the Instagram presence. So appreciative of Russia and all of you who uh, take a moment to listen to our podcast every day. I should say these reviews really mean a lot to us and help us grow. So if you could take a moment when you can and leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice, it would mean the world to us. It really does make a difference. Okay, there is a lot of news to get to today as we begin the week. So let's get started. The future of the medication Mifeprestone, used by millions of American women, is now in the balance after two court rulings over the weekend that say two different things. I'll explain. Leaders at the Pentagon and Department of Justice are investigating what could be the biggest leak of national security documents in recent memory. Two Tennessee lawmakers who were expelled from the state house last week could be back as soon as this week. We'll break down what could happen next. The governor of Texas is looking at pardoning a man convicted of murder on Friday, even before there is a formal appeals process. There's a new trend we're tracking in how companies are laying off workers. Buckingham Palace over the weekend put out new details on the coronation of King Charles next month, including how many carriages, crowns, and scepters will be involved. We'll count them up. We'll have some entertainment news with the big release of the Super Mario's movie, as well as the details, at least what we know so far, about Taylor Swift's breakup with her boyfriend over the weekend. And as always, I will bring you On This Day in History on this April 10th. Let's start today with the status of a key abortion medication and the uncertainty of its future after dueling court rulings on Friday from two different federal judges who reached two contradictory conclusions. The first, a federal judge in Texas, ruled that FDA approval of the drug mifepristone back in the year 2000 was actually wrongly decided, and this decision could block the medication in all 50 states, even in places where abortion is currently legal. Then another judge on Friday in Washington state ruled that the pill should remain available in a number of states. Mifepristone is used in more than half of all abortions in the U.S. It's been on the market for more than 23 years. There's been more than 100 studies that FDA and medical officials say proves its safety. They also note that it's used in a number of non-abortion procedures, including in many miscarriages, as well as other women's health procedures. With these dueling rulings, it appears inevitable that the issue will move to the Supreme Court, and these conflicting decisions could make that happen sooner rather than later. Let's start with the major ruling out of Texas against the FDA. That's where U.S. District Court Judge Matthew Kaczmarek, he's a nominee of former President Trump, someone with long-held anti-abortion views, he agreed in his ruling with conservative groups who sued to reverse the FDA's approval of Mifeprestone, saying they believe the FDA was wrong in its decision back in the year 2000. Notably, these groups specifically filed this lawsuit in Kaczmarek's district, hoping for this exact result. This is what's called judge shopping or court shopping, where you file a lawsuit in a place where you think you might have a sympathetic judge. 
Now, Kaczmarek's ruling against the FDA and the medication does not go into effect for seven days in order to allow for appeals. But if implemented, it would reverse approval for the entire country, again, including in states where abortion rights are currently protected. The judge ruled that he believes the FDA bypassed legitimate safety concerns and, in his perspective, used unsound reasoning and studies that did not support its conclusions. It is the first time a judge suspended a long-time FDA approval of a medication despite opposition from the FDA itself and the drug's manufacturer. Along with the FDA, major medical groups, uh, including the American Medical Association, say that this is an extremely safe drug for the women who take it. In fact, studies have shown that this is actually safer than drugs like penicillin or Viagra. Within hours of the Texas ruling, the Department of Justice filed their notice of appeal. They're now asking the next court up, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit, to allow the FDA to maintain approval of the pill pending the outcome of this case. Notably, this appellate court in the Fifth Circuit, based down there in New Orleans, is overwhelmingly conservative. Again, another reason why the plaintiffs here chose this part of the country for this lawsuit. So we will watch this case wind its way through the process, again, likely hitting the Supreme Court because the Supreme Court often has to adjudicate differences between various courts. I mentioned earlier that Washington State judge who on Friday, just hours apart from the Texas judge, ruled that the feds should keep approval of Mifepristone. Now, notably, the White House is reacting to this over the weekend, saying they might even ignore the ruling if this makes its way through the courts and overrules FDA approval. A number of prominent Democrats, including Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, as well as some Democratic senators, said over the weekend that a single judge with no medical background should not have the ability to overrule an FDA medical decision. And they believe that the White House should maintain approval for this medication regardless. The U.S. Health and Human Services Secretary Javier Becerra over the weekend said that ignoring a federal judge is on the table in this case. So we will keep you up to date on the Instagram account and on this podcast all week. Now to that massive intelligence leak that led U.S. officials and foreign allies to scramble this weekend. They're trying to figure out how dozens of classified intelligence documents ended up on the internet on a variety of social media websites recently. The documents include a range of files exposing how the U.S. spies on friends and foes alike. It could be the biggest classified leak since the Snowden files. The U.S. Department of Justice over the weekend opened up an investigation into the leaks. These documents were posted on a variety of social media sites, including Discord, 4chan, and Telegram. I'll have more about those in a second. The documents do appear legitimate, and there isn't a major reason to doubt the documents are, in fact, what they appear to be. U.S. officials believe the public release is a significant breach. Among other things, the documents, which come at least in part from the Pentagon, are marked highly classified and offer tactical information about the war in Ukraine, including its combat capabilities. The documents also contain classified information on topics ranging from the mercenary group, the Wagner Group, they work with the Russian military, Israel's pathways to providing lethal aid to Ukraine, intelligence about the United Arab Emirates' ties to Russia, South Korean concerns about providing ammunition that'll end up in Ukraine, a whole variety of documents that in some cases are pretty embarrassing for the countries involved. According to one defense official, many of the documents seem to have been prepared over the winter by the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Mark Milley, and other senior military officials, but they were available to other U.S. personnel 
and contract employees with requisite security clearances. This is going to be key in figuring out who the leaker was. Many of the documents had markings indicating they were produced by the Joint Staff's intelligence arm. That's known as J2. U.S. officials say the leak investigation right now is looking inside the Pentagon, but a person familiar with U.S. intelligence tells the Washington Post that a probe will not just be limited to the Pentagon given the large number of people across the government who had access to these documents. Some of these documents also have markings indicating they were shared with other countries in what's called the Five Eyes Intelligence Alliance, the U.S., Australia, Canada, New Zealand, and the U.K. Those are the five countries. They call them the Five Eyes, and there's a lot of intel sharing between them. Images of some of the documents, which include estimates of Russian casualties, as well as Western weapons systems available to Ukraine, were posted to the social media platform Discord in early March. But it wasn't until last week that the leaked documents started to gain more attention after someone posted a portion of them on the web forum 4chan, which is popular with extremists. Some of those that posted them were Russian speakers and manipulated a couple of the documents. So that's another concern here, that the Pentagon and top U.S. national security officials, in some cases, didn't know for weeks that some of these documents were out there in public view. This is concerning people at the top of U.S. intel agencies and uh, at the Pentagon, and we'll remain on top of the story for you all week. All right, we have a lot more for you coming up in this podcast, but I want to take a moment to tell you about a couple exclusive offers for Mo News listeners and thank a couple of our sponsors. Let's talk now about Athletic Greens. I've been using their AG1 vitamin supplement since the fall. The Athletic Greens AG1 powder is just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. Easy, quick, lets you get on with your day knowing that you've gotten 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins and minerals. It also has pre and probiotics to support digestion, gut health. With your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1. You can head over now to athleticgreens.com slash monews to take advantage of this offer and get a discounted monthly subscription or try it for just one time for just a month. Again, athleticgreens.com slash monews for this special deal. It will really let you start to take ownership of your health. Okay, now time for the speed read. We're going to start now with the Washington Post, which reports that Texas Governor Greg Abbott said this weekend that he is looking to pardon a man convicted last week of murder. A Texas jury convicted 37-year-old Daniel Perry on Friday for fatally shooting Garrett Foster back in July 2020. This came during the Black Lives Matter nationwide protests against police violence. We should note Perry and Foster are both white. The case hinged on whether Perry killed Foster in self-defense. Foster was carrying an AK-47 at the time. Now, Perry, who was convicted on Friday, is an Army sergeant who was stationed at Fort Hood in 2020. He was working as an Uber driver on the night he sped into a street full of protesters. The protesters were crossing a street in downtown Austin, Texas, and Perry began honking the horn of his vehicle. That's when protesters, including Foster carrying an AK-47, approached Perry's vehicle. Perry told police he fired five shots from his handgun into Foster because Foster pointed his own weapon at him. And so Perry's defense attorneys during this trial argued he had no choice but to shoot Foster. Making this case a bit more complicated was the fact that Texas is an open carry state, meaning you can carry your gun out and about in Texas. But prosecutors in their arguments in this trial argued that Perry could have driven away before firing his revolver. Witnesses testified that Foster, the victim here, never raised his AK-47 at Perry. Prosecutors also cited Facebook messages in which Perry made statements that they said indicated his state of mind. He wrote on Facebook before all of this, 
that he might, quote, kill a few people on my way to work. They're rioting outside my apartment complex. Following the conclusion of arguments, a 12-person jury unanimously found Perry guilty. A judge is set to sentence him to prison in the coming days. He does face up to life in prison. But now it appears that the governor of the state is looking to pardon him even before there is a full appeals process. Governor Greg Abbott tweeting over the weekend that, quote, Texas has the strongest stand-your-ground laws of self-defense that cannot be nullified by a jury or progressive district attorney. The call for pardon this early is very rare, but Governor Abbott is facing pressure, including from outside the state, including conservative pundits like Tucker Carlson and Kyle Rittenhouse. You might remember him. He was the one who killed two people at a Black Lives Matter rally in Wisconsin and was found not guilty of murder. Rittenhouse and Tucker Carlson were among those over the weekend pushing Abbott to immediately pardon Perry here. Now, Texas law does require that a board of pardons and paroles approves requests by the governor, so we'll keep monitoring that. Okay, our next story comes to us from the Associated Press, which reports that the two black Democratic Tennessee lawmakers who were expelled by their Republican colleagues last week might be back in their jobs as soon as this week. So we told you last week about the expulsion of Justin Jones and Justin Pearson from the Tennessee State House last Thursday. Well, now each of the districts who they represented have to choose a replacement. And it turns out that Nashville's Metro Council is now likely to reappoint now former state rep Justin Jones to the seat during a specially called meeting today. A majority of the members of the Nashville Metro Council say they want to put Jones back in that seat and they're meeting on it later today. Meanwhile, over in uh, West Tennessee in Memphis, the Shelby County Commission plans to announce very soon when it will meet to fill the vacancy left by Justin Pearson's expulsion. Commissioners there are also able to reinstall Pearson. Both Justins, Pearson and Jones, did multiple interviews over the weekend saying they want to be reappointed, then officially elected back to their seats following their ouster for the gun control protests after the Nashville school shooting. So this is the process. Each man could be reappointed this week as the interim House rep for those districts go back to the uh, state house they were just expelled from. And then special elections will be held in the coming months where each of them will officially try to get reelected again. The now former lawmakers and soon to be, I guess, lawmakers again, have quickly drawn prominent supporters and national name recognition after Republicans decided to boot them on Thursday. As we explained in Friday's podcast, this all had to do with an hour-long protest that Pearson, Jones, and a third representative who was not expelled held in the well of the Tennessee State House, where they used at times a megaphone to speak to protesters. Republicans claimed they had to go with expulsion to reinforce how important decorum and the rules are, even though they did have a number of options, including censuring uh, the representatives verbally in written form, a temporary ban, many steps short of permanent expulsion, but Republicans decided to go for it. And that's meant that Jones, Pearson, and uh, Johnson have become known as the Tennessee Three National Name Recognition. They spoke on Friday with President Biden, who's invited them to the White House. Vice President Harris actually visited them in Nashville on Friday. Notably, some national Republicans over the weekend questioned this move by the state uh, Tennessee Republicans, saying they've only elevated those two men, and this could inspire Democratic activists, Democratic voters across the country heading into the next election. All right, let's head abroad here for this next story from the UK Telegraph. King Charles III plans to take a shortcut and a smoother ride to Westminster Abbey for his coronation next month. Buckingham Palace announced on Sunday that they're looking at trimming the procession route that his mother, Queen Elizabeth, took back in 1953 as they hope for a more modest event 
that will include some modern touches. So what Buckingham Palace here is calling a, quote, lower key ceremony, at least by British royal standards, will take place on Saturday, May 6th. It will still be steeped in a number of ancient traditions. Keep in mind, the uh, British royal family is more than a thousand years old. For those keeping score, the ceremony will include three crowns, five symbolic swords, two carriages, two scepters, and the Sovereign's Ring of Sapphire with ruby cross set in diamonds. Folks, there's a lot of details here. I won't share all of them with you, but just to give you a sense of the pomp and ceremony of all of this. Queen Camilla will hold Queen Mary's crown. She'll also hold a controversial scepter made of ivory. Britain has a near total ban on dealing elephant ivory products. Prince William has campaigned against illegal animal part trafficking, but they're going to use the scepter made of ivory regardless. Charles will be crowned with the St. Edward's crown. That's the centerpiece of the crown jewels. It's viewed by millions of people every year at the Tower of London. The crown is actually the inspiration for the coronation emoji. They're going to have an emoji because, you know, this is a modern uh, royal family here. And the crown features a five-pound solid gold frame set with rubies, sapphires, a whole bunch of other gems. This crown was actually also worn by Queen Elizabeth during her coronation 70 years ago, but it has been refitted for King Charles. At the end of the ceremony, Charles will actually switch crowns to a lighter imperial state crown for the procession back to the palace. Like most things royal family, they take all the details very seriously here, but thought that a couple of those details would be interesting to uh, you guys today. Okay, our next story comes to us from the New York Times, which reports that after years of HR sticking to firing people in person, face-to-face, it appears that things are shifting. Last week, McDonald's asked corporate employees who usually worked from the office at least three days a week to do the job from home. Their plan was to lay off hundreds of employees virtually. And McDonald's isn't the only company to tweak the layoff playbook here. In January, Google laid off thousands of people via email. Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO of Meta last month, announced plans for a year of big cuts in a 2,000-word memo. And we report on this podcast how Elon Musk has let people go uh, virtually. Like many work norms these last few years, how to fire people is being rewritten in the wake of the pandemic when downsizing companies often had little choice during those first couple of years to make the layoffs via Slack, Zoom, or email. But with offices open again and remote work more common, companies now have options. And it's not necessarily clear what is best for workers. This is in dispute here. There is a traditional case to be made that laying off people in person is the proper way to do it with someone on hand to ensure that someone doesn't react in an extreme way. But then there's also the case that some make that it's actually more sympathetic to lay off people in the comfort of their own home. I actually polled all of you who follow the Instagram account over the weekend, about 15,000 responses. Two thirds of you on Instagram said this weekend, you would prefer to be let go remotely from the comfort of your home, as opposed to being told you lost your job in person at the office. All right, a bit of entertainment news. We'll start with this from Entertainment Tonight. Taylor Swift and Joe Alwyn have officially broken up after six years of dating. The news of the split didn't come as a total shock to those who have been watching Taylor's uh, Eras tour. She's been traveling across the country, but the actor, Joe Alwyn, had not been spotted. Alwyn and Swift had been dating since 2016. The famously private couple kept their cards very close to their chest. They would often deflect any engagement rumors. Alwyn is 32 and Swift is 33. Entertainment Tonight uh, reports that the split was amicable. Quote, it was not dramatic. A source shared with the outlet that, quote, the relationship had just run its course. It's why Joe hasn't been spotted any shows. Right now, Swift is set to continue her tour. It heads to Tampa next for three shows starting on Thursday. 
In some other entertainment news, the Super Mario movie had the biggest opening of the year in theaters this weekend. The animated film grossed about $205 million in its first five days in North America, then add another $173 million in international movie earnings for a global total of just under $380 million in five days. I didn't catch Super Mario over the weekend, but we did catch the film Air. That's the new Ben Affleck, Matt Damon film about the origins of Nike and Michael Jordan. Thought it was a great film, though it does take some liberties with the original story, but really well put together from my perspective. Air grossed $20 million since Wednesday. Rounding out the other top grossing films of the weekend, John Wick Chapter 4, Dungeons and Dragons, and Scream 6. And now to some sports news from Yahoo Sports. John Rahm surged at exactly the right time to claim his first ever Masters win and the iconic green jacket at Augusta National. After a late start to the final round of the 2023 Masters Golf Tournament due to two days of weather delays, Rahm quickly caught up and then flew past Brooks Kepka on Sunday afternoon. Kepka actually held a two-shot lead to start the day and Rahm ran ahead to a four-shot win. The Masters win now marks Rom's second ever major win. That makes him just the second player ever from Spain to win more than one major. The 28-year-old also now officially returns to number one in the official world golf rankings. Phil Mickelson ended up tying Brooks Kepka in second in what was his best round of the tournament. I should mention the final round did not include Tiger Woods, uh, who many people were watching at the Masters this weekend. He withdrew on Sunday morning. Uh, he was hobbling a bit through the tournament. He continues to face the aftermath of those injuries from that car accident. All right, now to On This Day in History on this April 10th. We're going to start On This Day in 1912. That's when the Titanic embarked on its maiden and what would be its only voyage. It would end in tragedy just four days later when it strikes an iceberg and sinks. Most of you are probably pretty familiar with the Titanic story by now, but I should note if you're a New Yorker or are ever in the New York area, there's actually a spot in New York City along the Hudson River where you can visit the dock where the Titanic was supposed to arrive. They actually built a special extra large dock to accommodate the Titanic at that point. Of course, the Titanic would never make it there. All right, a happy 98th birthday today to The Great Gatsby. Author F. Scott Fitzgerald published The Great Gatsby on this day in 1925. All right, on this day in 2001, 22 years ago today, the Netherlands passed a bill permitting euthanasia, the first such national law in the world. Assisted suicide is now available to over 300 million people in 11 countries around the world, including Canada, Spain, Belgium, and a few others. In the U.S., it is not legal nationally, but is available in 11 states and D.C., mainly out west, California, Colorado, Montana, Washington, Oregon, and then a few in the east, Maine, New Jersey, and Vermont. Okay, we'll end with some pop culture, as we uh, typically do. On this day in 1970, 53 years ago, the Beatles were officially broken up. It had been rumored for months. In fact, some historians say you can trace their breakup to the death of their manager back in 1967, three years previous to that. Other histories say that John Lennon had quit the group in late 1969, but had been sworn to secrecy because of the business implications. Lennon later said, I had to either be married to them, the band, or Yoko Ono. I chose Yoko. But most of that was all behind the scenes. And why today is important is because it was today, April 10th, 1970, that Paul McCartney put out a press release that he was announcing that he was leaving the Beatles. That made major headlines and is considered by some music historians to be the official end of the iconic band. 
Okay, after you talk to Beatles, everything seems less significant. But a couple other headlines to share with you today. 24 years ago today, in 1999, No Scrubs by TLC reached number one on the Billboard charts. And finally, I know this is a significant movie for some of you millennials out there. Newsies, the Disney film, turns 31 years old today. It premiered in theaters on this day, April 10th, 1992. All right, I want to thank all of you for listening to the Mo News Daily Podcast. It'll just be me this week as uh, Jill is on vacation. Please follow us and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. We have a couple extra episodes we're putting out in the next couple of weeks. So following or subscribing uh, in your podcast app ensures you don't miss a single one. Also, as I mentioned at the top, if you could leave us a review in the App Store, I would be so grateful. It does help us grow this podcast. And don't forget, beyond the podcast, follow us over on Instagram at Mosh at M-O-S-H-E-H for all the latest and greatest. See you back here tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.